0: Continuing in our series on Mark, and we are looking at Mark chapter 10. Uh, I really appreciated what Helen said during the worship because I've been doing a lot of thinking and reflecting over this time, and it really has been a really strange and pressured time. And for us that lead churches, all of a sudden we've had to become television kind of people and learn how to do things online. There was never part of the deal when I was uh, ever thinking about becoming a pastor and um, at the same time there have been so many extremes that we've been experiencing in our culture isn't that right so many extremes so depending on where you view things on the one hand if you're more on the left of the political spectrum people are saying this is a thing we need to treat seriously COVID, and uh, people are responding in appropriate ways towards the right of the spectrum then people are all saying it's all overrated it's not a big deal don't have to worry about face masks we're all overreacting and so somewhere between The two extremes, we have to find peace. We have to find the heart of God. Then I'm preaching through uh, Mark, and I feel like, God, what does this have to do with COVID? What does this have to do with Black Lives Matter? And it seems to me like uh, pastors are also expected to be social and political commentators that are speaking words of profound wisdom in all of these things. And I felt that pressure over the last while. But I want to say this to you. My confidence is absolutely in the gospel of Jesus Christ that transforms people, as we sang this morning, from the inside out. And when you are transformed on the inside, you start to see everything differently. You see people of different races differently. You value wealth differently. Your compassion is motivated from a different place. And so my confidence this morning is that as I simply share God's Word, I simply share the Gospel, it's going to transform you and transform me from the inside, regardless of the chapter and verse, so that we become more and more like Jesus and that we live with compassion and uh, love for all of God's people all over the world. And in our communities. That's my, that's my simple, simple confidence. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for the salvation of all who would believe. Do you know there are people going around um, at the moment shaming people in coffee shops on Facebook? <laughs> so part of the stress is people want to open their businesses, but there are idiots going around with cameras, taking photos, and saying, you have broken the rules of social distancing and therefore we will shame you on facebook what is that why are we so polarized why are we so can't even connect and see each other's point of view sorry that's my rant for the day <laughs> yes we're going to go back to the scripture mark chapter 10 verse 41 when the ten heard about this they became indignant with james and john jesus called them together and said you know Those that are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority. Isn't that right? That describes politics, right? Lording over us and exercising authority. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve. and His life as a ransom for many. What a beautiful verse, eh? Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many. So it's kind of, we're kind of repeating ourselves in the series a little bit, aren't we? Because Jesus has already spoken to his disciples about these very things that he speaks to them again. And we looked at last week, and James and John made the bold request, remember, to sit at the right hand and the left hand of Jesus in glory. And inevitably, that's aroused in the other disciples' deep resentment, uh, and the other ten are really, really hacked off with them. They're really upset. It seems that to them that James and John are trying to put themselves ahead of everyone else, get a position of advantage. And again, this old controversy that Jesus has already spoken to the disciples about, about who is the greatest, it rears its ugly head again. So do you notice the language of the verses we've read? Jesus takes it so seriously that he doesn't want the unity of this band of apostles, this band of brothers, to be broken in any way. And so he calls them to himself again. Remember, he's already done that when he spoke to them about this the last time. Again, he calls them. He has like a little huddle, you know, like a team talk. And he says, guys, come on. Let me remind you again of these things about my kingdom and the world and how different my kingdom is from the world. And so he says plainly, in the world, the kingdom... Of the world, the standard of greatness is power. So how many people do you control? How many servants do you have? Who's at your beck and call? How many people can you impose your will on? That's what Jesus says. He uses that example. He says, those that are in authority over you, they lord it over you, and they should have your best interests at heart, but really he's implying that they don't. He's saying actually they have selfish motives. And he says, not like that in my kingdom. And the test is, how much will you serve? Not how much can you get people to do for you, but how can you give yourself in service to others. And so he uses, remember Dirk Muller came to us a couple of months ago, well, many months ago, and he said one of the most common language uses in the Bible is that of slave. It's one of the most common metaphors used in the Bible to describe how God views relationships. Verse 43 and verse 44 We see that illustrated. Jesus uses two metaphors, the household servant and a slave, to to illustrate what he's saying and to describe someone who doesn't have his focus on his own needs but on the needs of others. And he says, you must become like a household servant. You must become like a slave in my kingdom where your attention, your focus is not on your own needs. It's on the needs of other people. That's what love is like in my kingdom. You're not concerned about yourself. You're concerned about other people. And so, when you think about it, a lot of businesses try and aim for that, don't they? What is is the thing? Customer service is king. Yeah? The customer is always right. It's kind of actually, in, in a way, illustrating what I'm saying. We expect service from restaurants. We expect service from service providers. And if they don't give us the service that we think we deserve, we take our money and put it somewhere else. Don't we? That's how we live. And the basic problem with us as human beings is that we want to do as little as possible <laughs> and to get back as much as possible. That's how, we, that's how we work, don't we? Put as little effort in as possible and get the maximum out. And so it's only when we're filled with a desire by the Holy Spirit to put more into life than we take out of life and more into others than we want for ourselves that we truly begin to happy to be happy And live in a prosperous way. That's the way of the kingdom. And so I really want to say, as I echo the words of Jesus, that we we do need people whose ideal is service. And I mean by that, that people who have really taken seriously what Jesus has said to his disciples. If you want to be great, give yourself away and learn to serve. And so as the kind of if you like the, the greatest illustration of what he's saying, Jesus uses his own life as an example. Uh, with the power that he had, with all the authority that he had, he could have arranged his life to entirely suit himself in every way. But he had given his life to serving others and becoming a slave for us. And in this beautiful phrase of the gospel, he says he came to give his life as a ransom for many. I believe, for me, that's ultimately a statement of love. It's an ultimate statement of love. And uh, ransom was a familiar image for Jews, for Gentiles, uh, for Romans and Greeks. It was the price that was paid to liberate someone, a slave, a prisoner of war, a condemned person. And the paying of the redemption price cleaned the slate completely. And so to set a person free like that was to was called to redeem them. It was redemption. And so we see that Jesus is described as redeeming us all over the Scripture. Luke 1, 68, Titus 2, 14, Hebrews 9, 12. All over the Scripture, this image is used that Jesus redeems us, binds us back. And I did some reading, and it's interesting, various theologians have got distracted by this phrase and said, well, who pays the price? Does God pay the price? Does the devil pay the price? There's a price that must be paid. That misses the point completely for me of what this... This uh, illustration is here. The the point of the single purpose of this illustration is not about who is the price, but it's to make clear that Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man, was Himself the price. That's what it's trying to say. He Himself is the full measure of the price that is demanded, and He, through His life, pays that to redeem us. And so, He lays aside His glory. He um, assumes the role of a servant a slave, the language that he's used already describing how we should live. And he says, Philippians 2 says that he was obedient even unto death and death on a cross to buy us back, to redeem us so that we could have a relationship with our Father. What a great saying of love. Let me try and just make it even more clear. Suppose I say to you that, that sorrow is the price of love. What I mean by that is that you can't really experience love without the possibility of disappointment or sorrow. Isn't that true? Those of you that have loved in your life, you know that it's absolutely true. You give your heart to someone, and the possibility is in that thing that they will, not re- they will not respond to the love that you're giving, and then there's great disappointment. But the price of love is that you've got to be prepared to experience disappointment. Isn't it true? And you don't worry about who's going to pay the price, do you? You just know that that's part of the deal. Or, for example, remember Churchill... Not so fashionable anymore to speak about Churchill. But um, remember in the Second World War, he said he had that amazing uh, stirring speech where he said, all I can offer you is blood, toil, tears, and sweat. That was the price. Motivated people. No one really thought, well, we're going to have to pay the price. They just knew that was part of the deal, isn't it? And in the same way, that's what uh, Jesus is is using here this pictorial way of saying that it's ultimately His life was the full cost to buy back men and women from their sin so that we once again could experience the love of God. Jesus comes and gives His life as a ransom for many and does what no other man can do. And the sacrifice of one is for the benefit of all. That's the gospel. That's the beautiful message that we carry. Then the narrative moves on, and we're going to look at one second thing in the last ten minutes. um, Because now we have to to be on time, you know. It's like, can't just wander. So verse 46 now speaks about Bartimaeus. He has an illustration of what Jesus is speaking about. Uh, It says in verse 46, they came to Jericho. And as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging, and when he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him, told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. And so they called the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him, The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. I said last week now, this is Jesus on the last phase of his life, really. And we see now that the end of the road is not far away uh, because Jericho is only 15 miles from Jerusalem. And so Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem for the Passover. And uh, the language, again, in, in, the, in those verses shows us um, when, uh, when a well-known rabbi or teacher was was going on a journey, it was customary for a, a large crowd to follow him along, along with his disciples and those that he was teaching, and they had conversation with each other. And that was, that was the way that rabbis taught, largely, was as they walked and they, they um, discussed things with their disciples. And we also know that every male Jew over the age of 12 was expected in their lifetime to go and celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem, especially those that lived within a 15-mile radius of the city. And so um, it's also possible that whoever lined the streets along with the crowds were those that were pilgrims going on on the journey to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover as well. And there's one additional thing I'd just like to say about Jericho. I didn't know this, but there were 20,000 priests that served at the temple. That's a lot of people you ever been to a football match? Of the Watford, Watford uh, Stadium holds 20,000 people. 20,000 priests served at the temple in Jerusalem. They didn't all serve at the same time. They were broken into 26 groups that rotated throughout the year. And there was one time that they did all serve together. That was the time of Passover. So 20,000 priests would serve the entire pilgrimage as it came through for the, the Passover. And so It's also quite possible that many of the people that would have lined the roads on uh, on the way to, to Jerusalem were Levites and priests that would be serving over the Passover period. And it's also possible that many of them would be really hostile towards Jesus because remember what Jesus said? And they all had heard what Jesus said, that he would destroy the temple and he'd rebuild it in three days. And they knew that if Jesus was right, their entire um, temple system of worship was a vast irrelevance. It was, it was no longer necessary if Jesus was right. And so it's quite, it's quite um, possible that all these people might have been antagonistic towards Jesus as he walked on the boat. But the great mystery and the great wonder of our faith is that Jesus is going to present himself as the Passover lamb. Sacrifice for all people. And so along the way, at the northern gate, of Jericho he has the beggar this man called Bartimaeus he's blind but he hears the passing of the crowd he asks what, happ- what is happening they tell him about Jesus and then he does his best to attract Jesus' attention and for those that are following Jesus it's a little bit of inconvenience isn't it because they're trying to hear what he's saying so they say, hush him up and say keep quiet don't bother the teacher but he's so determined to see again that he cries out even the more boldly for the attention of Jesus. And the whole procession stops, and Jesus says, come here, and he jumps, he throws his cloak off. The language is like, immediately he he throws his cloak off. And I want to just give you a number of simple things. As we trust God for things in our life that we need his intervention in, here are four or five little simple things that I hope you will remember that help us to see what helps the Holy Spirit to take action in our lives on our behalf. It's not a guarantee. I'm not saying these are guarantees, but these things are present so that the Holy Spirit can move in power. Here's, here's the first thing that I think this, this story teaches us. First of all, sheer absolute determination and perseverance. If we want Jesus to move, we have to have absolute determination and perseverance to see him move. Nothing could stop Bartimaeus coming face to face with Jesus. He was absolutely determined that no one would stop him. He wanted Jesus to help him with his trouble. It was not some vague, wishful sentiment. Oh, I want to see Jesus. You know, Jesus, the great shepherd. I want to see with, I just want to be with him. Love of my soul. There was an absolute determination, Jesus, I'm going to meet with you. I'm going to lay everything else aside and make sure that I can meet with you. There was a desperation in him to come face to face with Jesus. And I want to say to you, my friends, if you want to see Jesus move powerfully in our lives, we can't just have some kind of vague, wishful, sentimental kind of fuzzy feeling in our hearts that we want to meet with Jesus can't base our lives on that. There must be an absolute conviction, rootedness. Jesus, I am going to be where you are. I'm going to throw everything aside to be with you because you are the one that can meet with me. Amen. Secondly, he was absolutely quick off the mark. Do you notice that? <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't wait. It says he jumped to his feet and th- he th- 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 threw his cloak aside and he came to Jesus. know many people hear the call of God many of us do but unfortunately many of us say oh no Jesus just wait a while I've still got a whole lot of stuff to do (laughs) wait till I've done this or wait till I've, I've, I've finished that but Bartimaeus knew instinctively that sometimes God's call only comes once and you have to hear it when it is God's call and you have to respond immediately And he knew that instinctively. He recognized the moment. He said, this is it. Jesus is calling. I'm responding. Not going to put it off. And so, sometimes we have a sort of longing in our lives or a desire to stop a bad habit or to embrace purity in our lives or try and live with a different attitude. But we just don't give ourselves completely. We withhold. We don't respond immediately. And somehow the moment passes And then we find ourselves five years later down in the same position and Jesus is calling us again to respond to him. Let's be those that respond immediately to the voice of God when he calls. Amen? Thirdly, he knew exactly what he wanted. Notice that? He knew exactly what he wanted from Jesus. He wanted his sight back. You know, often our admiration for Jesus, again, is a little bit vague. It's like he's, we think he's a good guy, he's a great teacher but, and, and all these kind of things, but we don't respond to other people like that, do we? Um, I, I'm going F- to pick on you as a dentist, is that okay? When you go to the dentist, you don't go with a vague kind of thing of what you want, do you? You've got a tooth that is pain, full of pain, and you need the filling replaced. You don't go to the doctor, the dentist, and say, I know you're a good dentist. Just, you know, just please help me a little. You say, no, this tooth, please fill it or else I'm going to have pain for the next couple of weeks, and I can't bear it anymore. Isn't that true? Or you go to the doctor. You don't kind of go to a doctor in a vague kind of way. You go because you have a specific problem. And so we need to go to Jesus with our specific problems. Not a vague kind of, oh, Jesus, won't you bless me? But Jesus, this problem, please help me deal with it. You know what that requires? And this is what we're not very good at. And I've found as uh, you get older, it gets harder. Self-examination. To really look at yourself in the mirror and your heart expose it and to see what is really in there and to say, okay, Jesus, as painful as this is, I want you to help me deal with that thing. That's hard. That requires self-examination. But you see, that's what Bartimaeus knew. He knew what his problem was, and he knew only the, the only person who could fix it was Jesus. I'm asking you uh, kindly as I can this morning. What problems do you know in your life that only Jesus can fix that you need to take to him? Because he wants to fix them. But you have to identify what the problem is, just as I do last thing I'd like to say is that Bartimaeus didn't fully understand who Jesus was, but he had faith. Do you notice that? Why do I say that? Because he's calling out. He's saying, Son of David, have mercy on me. And we know that's a messianic title. We know that's uh, true. And and, and not many people were calling Jesus Son of David. So Bartimaeus knew Jesus wasn't some ordinary guy. He kind of knew that. But we know also Son of David has got a political connotation that Jesus was trying to shake off. It implied a political Messiah that was coming to establish a political kingdom. And so Bartimaeus has seen something of who Jesus is, but it's not quite the right thing that Jesus is coming to demonstrate through his life. But his theology that is incorrect is outweighed far by his faith in Jesus. And what is my point? My point is we don't... I love good theology. We must have good theology. But, but that's not the point. The point is not to understand Jesus perfectly. The, the point is to live our lives and trust Jesus implicitly all the time with our future and our lives. It's to walk by faith. That's what the real deal is, is being, of being a Christian life. It all starts with the response to Jesus, who He is. And I want to say that faith Makes up a hundred times for bad theology or lack of theology, and it's the same for you and for me. And the last thing, the most precious thing, do you notice? Jesus meets his need, heals him, he receives his sight, and what does he do? He follows Jesus. That's a precious thing. He was a man of gratitude. Once Jesus had met his need, he just didn't wander off and do his own thing. He said, no, Jesus, thank you. And out of that response, I want to follow you and give myself to you. And really, that's a little tiny summary cameo of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. His gratitude led to his loyalty. He was touched, healed, saved. And out of that, he leaves all and he follows Jesus. I hope you're encouraged this morning and I want to encourage you with that. I just want to take a moment now to pray for you. What do you need? What do you need from Jesus? You all need different things. Maybe just take a moment of self-reflection to say, Jesus, help me see what I most need from you right now. I don't want to ask you to ask him. And I want to ask you not to give up. (laughs) Isn't that the thing? When we don't have our prayers instantly answered, uh, God doesn't want to answer. No, perhaps the answer is wait for now. There's something else that I need to say to you. I will answer, but my timing is the right time. Don't give up. And when, when He has healed you and touched you and delivered you and set you free, then will you follow Him? Will you continue to give your life and say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you because you are all that I need. Amen. Let's just take a moment, then I'm going to pray. We're going to finish. We thank you, Jesus, that you came and gave your life as a ransom for many, for all of us. Thank you for that beautiful, beautiful act of love. And Lord, we do come as your sons and daughters before you. We come, all of us, with different things that are in our lives, that need your hand, that need your touch, that we need you to change, that we need you to transform. And Father, I pray for my friends here this morning. <clears throat> those that are listening at home, I pray, Lord, that in we would have honest moments of self-reflection in our lives, that we would take a look at what you need to touch and what you need to change, and that we would admit that to ourselves and we would bring those things to you. And so, Lord, whatever people are offering up to you now and saying, Lord, help me with this or change that, I pray, Lord, that as we cry to you with determination, with a faith that won't give up, I pray that you would move in all of our lives that you'd bring healing and restoration for those that don't know you that you'd bring salvation into our lives that we'd respond and walk by faith and trust you completely with our future and Lord when you have healed and delivered and set free I pray Lord that we'll continue to follow you with all of our hearts just as Bartimaeus did out of love out of gratitude, knowing that you were all that he needed. I thank you that you have given us all that we need for our lives and for godliness. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you continue to empower us that we might walk in a way that pleases you and ultimately that we become more and more like Jesus. So I simply trust you, Lord. I speak your blessing over my friends here today, each and every one. And we thank you, Lord, for your power, your presence that transforms us daily. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone says, Amen.